Hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. The date is July 29th, 1880, along the Severe River in Utah. Sixtus E. Johnson was eight years old and on his uncle, George D. Wilson's farm. The farm on that summer day was prospering. The fields were coming up nicely. The gardens were growing well. Everything was going along just as it should. And then you can read it in his notes. With some degree of awe, Sixtus recalled what happens next. And I quote, he said, A large black cloud came up from behind the hills and started moving directly for the town and its surrounding farms. It looked as if Uncle George's farm would be right in the middle of the storm's fury, for fury it had. There was thunder and lightning and the roar of hail. By the way, if you've never been caught out in a hailstorm, it can be a terrifying experience. The women folks, he said, came running to the doors of the houses, some of them crying and wringing their hands. Destruction of their crops and gardens seemed certain, and this would mean mighty limited rations for a whole year. Sixtus went on to say that his uncle George came out of the mill shed as the hailstones began to spatter on the roof. He stepped out into the storm and looked out over the green fields of wheat and over at the lush garden coming up. And then suddenly, he started walking out into the storm, waving his arms. By this time, the hail was coming down hard enough that Sixtus, common sense, told him, run for cover, boy. But what was his uncle doing? Curiosity overcame common sense, and he followed his uncle out into the storm. Sixtus said, I followed so close to him that I heard him above the roar of the storm as it broke over us. Father in heaven, he was saying, don't let this storm destroy our crops. Father, thou didst not lead us from our enemies in Illinois to starve in this western desert. Suddenly, he stood still, facing the storm, lifting his hands he seemed almost to be defying it. Storm, he cried. I command you through the power of the priesthood which I hold and in the name of Jesus Christ not to destroy my crop. Sixtus said, Storm was honest, but he seemed to have tossed any worry or doubts that might have been lurking within him into the face of the fury. He turned solemnly and majestically walked to the mill shed. Sixus went on to say the storm lasted about a half an hour. When it was over, 
he came out with his cousin to inspect the damage. He said as he looked out over the severe river valley, it was white with the hail. In some places, it lay from two to six inches deep. And then the boys, Sixtus and his cousin, saw an astounding sight. Quote, suddenly, we became aware that there was bare ground just through Uncle George's fence. We crawled through. There was no hail on the garden or on the wheat field, but plenty of hail was piled along his fence, which extended half a mile. It was, he said, as if the fence was an impassable barrier beyond which no hail could go. End of quote. Brothers and sisters, not only did those boys and the generations since regard Uncle George as a hero, but it provided a testimony, affirmed one that I have already known. There is power in the priesthood of God. Second story. I heard this story a long time ago. I never did know who the man was that did it. But when we wrote a book on the Mormon Battalion, The Remarkable Journey of the Mormon Battalion, I learned who this man was. And to this day, this simple story stands as a testament to me, to guts, to courage, to grit. The Mormon Battalion, the date is December 11th, 1846, south of Tombstone, Arizona, where the Mormon Battalion crossed out of New Mexico into Arizona. They were uh, camped out along a little creek. I've been on this creek. I've been right where this event happened. And you get an interesting feeling when you're standing there. I wish I could take you on a tour there, but it's so far out in the middle of nowhere that only those who live there can appreciate how far out it really is. Anyway, the men were finally camped in a place where they had adequate water and food. And the hills all around, desert hills all around, were teeming with abandoned wild cattle. There had once been a ranch there that had gone defunct and the cattle had just been turned loose. Well, some of the men went out to hunt some of those cattle. It was in the middle of that hunt, and who knows why? when suddenly pandemonium broke loose. Some of the bulls came stampeding down out of the hills and charged through the camp, goring and shoving and just making a mess. They charged into one of the wagons and overturned it. They gored a couple of the mules to death. One of the bulls charged one of the battalion members, hooked him in the thigh with his horn, and then flipped the man back over the bull's body, severely wounding him. Another man was charged down by a bull, and the horns passed on either side of his body and bruised his ribs. Another man was running from one of the bulls and suddenly just fell down, and the bull jumped over the top of him. In the middle of all of this, Colonel Philip St. George Cook the commander, the leader of the Mormon battalion, was watching the fracas, all the chaos, break loose. 
He was mounted on a white mule standing nearby. When all of a sudden, one of the bulls not far away turned and beelined right straight for Colonel Cook. I suppose if I were the colonel, I would be getting that mule in motion mighty fast. But standing near the colonel was Corporal Lafayette Frost, a Latter-day Saint, a member of the Mormon battalion. The bull roared closer and closer. Corporal Frost just stood there between the colonel and the bull. And then when the bull was scarcely six paces away, according to the record, Corporal Frost raised his rifle and dropped the bull. It skidded to a stop at his feet. To say the least, Colonel Cook was relieved and impressed. He commended the man for his bravery, but then said he wanted to see no such further acts of bravery along that line. Brothers and sisters, sometimes you never know how gritty and tough you really are until in a moment you have to be. And I believe, I'm a simple-minded boy, I believe from my experience that if we're doing the best we can to be good and honor our covenants and keep the commandments, the Lord will bring out the best in us at the moment that it's needed. This again is a very touching story. And it was given to me by a dear friend, Michelle Twitchell. It comes from her family history. November the 9th, 1835, Tinker Creek, Ohio. Cheney and Lucy Van Buren were baptized as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which was saying something, because up to that point in their life, they had eschewed all of the religious revivalism and movements and the hellfire and damnation doctrines of the Christian churches. But then they found the gospel, the restored gospel of hope, and were baptized. It is thought that they were baptized after breaking a hole in the ice on Tinker Creek. Well, before long, others in that area had joined the church as well, and Cheney was called as the branch president. Now, it wasn't long before they began working on the Kirtland Temple. Cheney plied his skills to helping to build the Kirtland Temple. When the saints were driven out of Ohio in January of 1838, Cheney and Lucy took their family and went to far west Missouri. And as you know, they were not in Missouri very long, less than a year, and again, the saints were driven out and eventually found their home in Nauvoo, Illinois. There in Nauvoo, once again, Cheney went to work and helped build the Nauvoo Temple. Their home, it is said, stood on the road to Carthage at a little community called Apennus. And when the prophet Joseph was martyred, they were there. They were part of the saints that grieved that knew Brother Joseph and experienced that terrible, wrenching loss. 
In February of 1846, President Brigham Young packed up the saints and started west to find a new home. Not long after, Cheney and Lucy and their children followed behind the 12. By October of that year, Cheney and Lucy and their children, seven children, soon to be eight, settled down in Garden Grove, Iowa. Now, for those of you who don't know that story, our book, The Great Mormon Exodus, available at History of the Saints, tells the story of Garden Grove and Mount Pisgah and the great journey from Nauvoo to the West. But Garden Grove was a temporary way station where saints who were not fully equipped could hunker down, grow crops, settle in until they were provisioned enough to come on to the Salt Lake Valley. Garden Grove was in existence for several years. In fact, Cheney and Lucy stayed there with their eight children now until 1849. Cheney was determined and working all that he could to, quote, make a permanent home for his beloved companion in Utah. More than anything, he wanted to take his family and be with the prophets in Utah. Then one day, while he was out working, he cut his hand. The injury wasn't bad. It was a small wound, a pinch between his thumb and his forefinger. But as so many of us guys are wont to do, he didn't dress it. He didn't take care of it. He just kept working. I one time watched my dad standing by shoeing a horse. I was helping him. And he slipped with the hoof knife and took a chunk right out of his finger. A fold of skin was just hanging off, bleeding everywhere. My dad said, Glenn, come here. And I walked over and he handed me the hoof knife. And he says, cut that off. I looked at him like, are you crazy? But he was serious. So I sliced it off and he went right back to work. Well, Cheney went right back to work. But in his case, the wound became infected. And within a very short time, blood poisoning had set in and he was confined to his bed and before long lapsed into unconsciousness, his life now gravely threatened. During that time, the family fasted and prayed. The elders administered to Cheney again and again, and his dear wife Lucy did all in her power to comfort him, to relieve his suffering, and bring him back to health. Finally, after two weeks, Cheney's fever broke and he began to mend. The arm, though, was totally gone. It was right during that time that Cheney was called on a mission to preach the gospel in the southern United States. What would you do? This is very dear to my heart. Debbie and I put our youngest son, Adam, on the airplane and sent him back out for the second time into the mission field. In some respects, the second go-round was tougher than the first, but we won't go there. Cheney answered the call. He boarded a steamer and went south down the river and was soon in Louisville, Kentucky, preaching the gospel. 
while he was there, teaching and preaching and laboring as a missionary. Cheney's weakened constitution was no match for the dread disease of cholera. He fell victim to cholera while there in Louisville. This time, quoting, listen carefully to this. This story is a bit of a quandary. There were no loving hands to care for him. No one to soothe him in his suffering. No one to pray for him. He died the 10th of June, 1851, alone, destitute, and among strangers, buried in a forgotten grave without benefit of funeral honors or memorial stone. A man seemingly bereft of all earthly gains for which men strive. Still quoting, he gave his last all in the service of the church and his God. Truly, he died a martyr to the cause of righteousness. End of quote. It would be months later before Lucy would learn what had happened to her companion. What did she do? Squared her shoulders, packed up her children, and went west kept the faith, and left a noble posterity. Is that a story of tragedy? I've told stories like that before, and I've had people of the world mock and say such things, and I quote, only a stupid Mormon would think that's a good story. All right, guilty as charged. Yeah, that story's a tragedy, but just like the story of the Martin and Willie Handcart Company, the Lord Almighty loves to fix what is broken, to make right and just that which is unfair. Because I have faith and you and hope in Christ, Cheney and Lucy Van Buren are heroes, not only to their family, but to the simple child like me and others who would and could and should go and do likewise in the service of the Lord. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.